So we're continuing our series on the Eucharist. Um, and Claire kicked us off last week thinking about the fact that Jesus said, I am the bread of life and how we need to uh, be fed spiritually in the same way that we need to be fed physically. Our bodies need food. And the way that we take in food in our bodies is really important, isn't it? And hopefully most of us try and have a healthy diet and have regular meals, that we don't have a diet of sort of junk food or a diet of snacks or a diet where we have one massive meal every week and then the rest of the week we starve ourselves. The same thing applies to our spiritual lives. When we feed upon God, and that means feeding upon the Bible, uh, being with God in prayer, being with other Christians, we need to do all of those things on a regular basis. And we need to have a healthy diet and maybe some variety in that diet so we're not always eating potatoes or always eating meat or whatever it might be. So that analogy is a really good one as we think about what it means to feed on Christ. And we'll hear a bit later in our notices that we try and provide a variety of ways of praying here at St. Stephen's, whether it be silent prayer, we've had a bit of silence today, whether that be singing, whether that be praying intercessions, whether that be celebrating around the Lord's table in communion, whether it be home groups, whether it be a larger gathering like this. There are a variety of ways of feeding uh, ourselves. And I'd really encourage you to consider the fact that actually if we're to grow to be mature Christians, sounds pretty obvious, but we need to learn to feed ourselves. So many people continue to be spiritual babies expecting to be spoon-fed with uh, teaching or with whatever it might be. We need to grow up. We need to be people who feed ourselves. And we here at St. Stephen's can provide all sorts of resources and opportunities for prayer and for being fed. But ultimately, you as individuals need to take responsibility for being fed by Christ, who is the bread of life. So this week, we're going to be thinking uh, about what it means when Jesus says, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me, which Andy read right at the um, beginning of our reading from Corinthians. What does that actually mean for us today? Before we jump into that, there can be a bit of confusion around communion because many of us come from different traditions. We don't necessarily come from an Anglican background. We might come from a Catholic background or a Baptist background or a free church background or Methodist or whatever. Um, and we, within the... Uh, plethora of Christian traditions, there are different names used for the same thing. So some of you might have grown up calling communion uh, the Lord's Supper. And that's a wonderful description of the Lord's Supper because it reminds us that actually we're reenacting what Jesus did with his disciples when he had supper with them the night before his betrayed. It also conveys to us that sense of invitation that this is a meal that we are invited to participate in, that it's the Lord's Supper, Jesus' Supper, that he says, yes, come and be part of it. And then some people call it Holy Communion. Holy, good word, um, because it is. It's something very special and sacred and mysterious that we find it hard to actually understand. We'll think about that in a moment. And communion, well, communion is simply uh, what that sense of participating and joining in with Jesus in something he invites us to. We have communion with God through Jesus and by his spirit, and we have communion with one another. So Holy Communion, that's a pretty good name as well. The Eucharist, who knows what the Eucharist means? You can answer. 
I'm glad that Claire knows. Yeah, James, thank you. Thanksgiving. So Eucharist simply means Thanksgiving. And again, it can sound like a sort of, sort of very religious word, but it simply means Thanksgiving. Gratitude. And of course, that should be our attitude, an attitude of gratitude, as we come to worship God. As we come before him, we need to come before him with an attitude of thanksgiving. And then those of you maybe from a Catholic background or a more high church background might have heard communion referred to as the mass. And actually the mass is simply the Latin word or one of the Latin words, and I'm not going to pretend to know anything about Latin, but it's one of the Latin words that, you, that is used right at the end of the service, the bit where we say, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. It's one of those words. can't remember which one. And it basically, it, I think it is the word for go. It basically means go. Isn't that a great, great thought about we come to communion and then Jesus is saying, go, because you have been fed And now you need to go and feed others. You are blessed in order to be a blessing. We are sent out into this broken world, having been fed by Jesus who was broken for us. Isn't that amazing? We'll we'll come on to that. I'm preaching my sermon ahead of itself, but never mind. I'm going to come on to that in a minute. That's what we're doing when we come to Holy Communion, to Mass, to the Eucharist, to the Lord's Supper, to Holy Communion. Any other names I've forgotten about? They're the main ones, I think, aren't they? So that's what we're thinking about. We're thinking about this really special meal that Jesus told us to participate in. He said, when you break bread and when you drink wine, remember me. Remember me. So we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at three themes. Uh, We're going to look at the Eucharist as a pattern for Christian worship. We're going to look at the theme of sacrifice, which can often be misunderstood. And then we're going to think a bit more about some of the things I've already said about brokenness. What does it mean that Jesus was broken? How do we participate in that brokenness? So if we could have the next one up, Duncan, that would be awesome. Oh, yeah, brilliant. So the Eucharist is a pattern for all Christian worship. We're only going to be able to look at these things very briefly. And I'd really encourage you, if you're not in a home group already, maybe think about going, getting into one of our home groups. There's a list of home group members on the um, notice board on this, uh, over there at the back uh, to speak to any of them and they'd be delighted to welcome you into their home group. Even if you want to just go along for this time during Lent, that's fine. No problem at all. But we really learn and grow deep, go deeper into the word of God, the Bible, as we talk and discuss it with one another. I can speak to you, but actually... For that to then enter your heart, you need to then really consider it further and think about it and check out the things that I'm saying um, for yourselves. So remembering is a really important aspect of of, uh, our Christian life. And remembering is not simply like looking at a photo album and saying, oh, do you remember that holiday we had in Butlins? Wasn't that amazing? Or do you remember that birthday party we had? Wasn't that great? It's not just about remembering a happy event or indeed a sad event. It's actually much deeper than that. It's about participating and in a sense um, entering into this event that has happened once in history, but actually its ramifications are both for the present and for the future as well as obviously being for the past as well. So it's, it's, as if, it's almost like an acted parable, someone has said. When we celebrate communion, when we have bread and when we have wine... It's an acted parable of remembering what Jesus did for us when he, his, 
body was literally broken and when his blood was literally spilt. That is what we're remembering. We're participating in that meal. And what's wonderful about that, there's lots of wonderful things about it, but one of the other wonderful things about it is that we are entering into this remembering with people from the past and even from the future. That blows my mind a bit, really, but uh, it's a mystery, actually. It's a mystery. And trying to understand fully what happens when we have bread and when we have wine, trying to understand fully what Jesus meant when he said, this is my body, this is my blood, when he was speaking about bread and wine, trying to fully understand that can make our brains hurt. Trust me, I've tried. What we actually need to do is to enter into the mystery of the fact that when Jesus tells us to break bread and to drink wine, we are in a very real way um, experiencing something of the presence of Jesus. Now, how we experience that presence in the bread and the wine has been the issue of, uh, of being the subject of much debate across the centuries. The amazing thing is that until the medieval period, no one really tried to understand exactly what was happening in the Eucharist. They just accepted that Jesus had commanded us to remember him when we eat bread and when we drink wine. And no one really tried to unpack exactly what that meant. You know, well, how is Jesus present in the bread? Does the bread actually turn into Jesus? Does the wine turn into Jesus? And all these debates ensued and unfortunately still go on. But I would encourage you not so much to focus on that, but to focus on the mystery that when we come to communion, that Jesus is present in some way, that he feeds us in some way, that he nourishes us in some way, and that we are participants in this incredible event as we remember the past, as we look to the future when Jesus invites us to a heavenly banquet when he comes again. These are really difficult concepts I'm trying to explain, so don't worry if if um, it doesn't make complete sense. But the great thing is, is that Jesus has given us this wonderful meal through which we can remember him, through which we can be fed and nourished by him and by the Holy Spirit. In one Corinthians, Andy read to us in verse 26, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So part of our remembering is proclamation. It's actually proclaiming something of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. And as we are fed and as we are nourished by Jesus, we are in turn transformed. That should be the aim of our Christian life, that actually we don't remain static. We talk a lot here at St. Stephen's, don't we, about being on a journey, being on a pilgrimage, the pilgrim course. We are each pilgrims. And we are, the, the whole point of a pilgrimage and of a journey is that there is a destination. The destination is to be with Jesus, to be with him. And we travel on the journey with our fellow travelers, but we seek to walk with Jesus, but also to uh, become closer to him as we journey on through life. And of course, in any journey, there'll be setbacks and we sometimes might find ourselves going backwards a bit. But actually, we need to see ourselves as on, on a journey or as Paul talks about, running a race. 
And again, we don't run a race without getting anywhere. We, we go somewhere. There's a finish line. And so in our Christian lives, there should be a sense of forward momentum, a sense of ongoing transformation and change. And again, as I've said, there's just all sorts of ways in which we can have communion with God, communion with one another, and all of those ways of being with God transform us. We cannot help but be changed when we are in the presence of Jesus. I think the challenge for us in our busy, hectic, fast-paced culture is actually slowing down long enough to really be with Jesus and not to have a Christian life that's actually about snacking fast food that we take from the vending machine and on the run we, we eat it metaphorically. And that's why we very deliberately in our services have times where we're quiet. That's why we have an emphasis on singing songs of worship and praise because these physical activities of singing and also the activity of silence helps us to come into Jesus' presence. The physical act of eating bread and drinking wine helps us to slow down, to be mindful of God's presence and Jesus' presence with us. We're doing this Eucharist course leading up to Easter. And when we participate in communion, it's a way of us also remembering and participating in the events of Good Friday when Jesus was killed. The events of uh, the night before when he had the supper with his friends. And then, of course, participating in Resurrection Day, Easter Day itself, that this broken saviour rose to life. I think it's also really significant that Jesus, when he appeared to his disciples, when he appeared to over 500 people, as recorded in Corinthians, he still bore the scars. He still bore the scars of his crucifixion. And don't you find that quite remarkable? And lots of people find this really difficult to get their heads around, that we follow a God who was prepared to die who was prepared to be broken for you and me. And some other uh, people of faith find that anathema, that God would do that. But that's the God that we believe in, the God who was crucified, who was broken for me, who was broken for you. And so the Eucharist is the central act of worship of the Christian church. And it is out of that act that all other acts of worship flow. All other acts of surrender, of bringing ourselves to God, of offering ourselves afresh to him, of having communion with him. Okay, so that's, um, yeah, so communion with God and each other. I've mentioned that already. So let's move on to the next one, sacrifice. Sacrifice. What, I don't know what, what's conjured up in your mind when, the word, when you think of the word sacrifice. It can sometimes, well, you can answer if you want. Anyone want to, without looking at that? <laughs> the answers are on there. No, no. Um, maybe we have a sort of an Old Testament image of sacrifice. You know, sort of sacrificing lambs and bulls and even Isaac maybe being sacrificed. The thing about sacrifices in the Old Testament is they had to keep being repeated. Because the people kept sinning, 
And every time they sinned, they, they sacrificed. They also had sacrifices of praise, actually. They had thank offerings, other types of sacrifice. But primarily, we probably think of the sacrifice of an animal to... Um, that the shedding of the blood of an animal would pay the price, would be an atonement for the sin of the people. The amazing thing about Jesus' sacrifice is because he was the perfect, unblemished Lamb of God. We sang about that earlier. The perfect, unblemished Lamb of God who offered himself as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Because he was a perfect, unblemished sacrifice, it was once and for all. And so sometimes when we call the communion table the altar, that can be a little bit confusing if we're not careful because we can almost think that we're offering sacrifice again. But the sacrifice of Jesus was once. Once and for all. For all time. Earlier in Corinthians, Paul wrote this, 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, For Christ is our Passover lamb. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. And then in Hebrews we read um, that Christ the high priest enters into the most holy place. The The high priest in the Old Testament could enter the holy of holies, the most sacred part of the temple, just once a year. And even then he had a rope tied to his leg so that he could be dragged out if if he died in there because no one else would go in. But Jesus, I know, a bit weird, um, but Jesus is both the sacrifice and the high priest. He is the sacrifice and the high priest. And he offers a sacrifice of himself once and for all, for all of us, for all time. doesn't need to be repeated. So that needs to be clear that when we come to communion, we're not re-sacrificing. We're actually remembering Jesus' sacrifice that was made once and for all. So that's the first aspect of sacrifice. That we have been justified by grace because of Jesus' one and only perfect sacrifice that paid for our sins, that restored our relationship with God, that basically the you know, no entry sign that was sort of at the Holy of Holies becomes a welcome mat. You're welcome. Jesus uh, makes the way for us to be welcome into the presence of God. The second way that the New Testament talks about sacrifice is that we as Christians are the new temple. We are the new temple. So we no longer need a temple where we can offer sacrifices, where we can um, come into the presence of God. Because guess what? We ourselves are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So we read in 1 Corinthians 6, Do you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Do you know that? Isn't that amazing? Your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Again, the sacrifice, the price was paid by Jesus. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And then if we also read um, 1 Peter chapter 2, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. So each of us are living stones And together, we are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, 
As individuals, we are temples of the Holy Spirit, and therefore what we do with our bodies is really important because actually the Holy Spirit dwells within us, so we need to look after this temple. And together, collectively, both here at St. Stephen's and with our brothers and sisters in Christ across the world, across the generations, across the ages, we are being built into the temple of the Lord. So in other words, if we want people to know the presence of Jesus, guess where they're going to look? They're going to look at you and me. Now, they might come into a beautiful building like ours, other beautiful buildings in you know, cathedrals and other churches and other sacred spaces, and they will see something of God there. They will sense something of God's presence in those spaces. Absolutely. But ultimately, God's presence is in you and me, not in, spirit, not in literal bricks and mortar, but in us as living stones. Again, isn't, doesn't that blow your mind? I mean, I'm talking about this stuff and it's just, my mind's just, whoa. It, it's amazing. And that's because God loves you so much. You are so precious to him that he actually wants to live with you. Be part of you. He wants you to participate with him and join in with him. Be a partner in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ to this world. We are partners in that gospel. And I've said this before, but it's an amazing thing that our Christian faith isn't about God doing it all. Yes, Jesus has paid the price on the cross, but he then leaves it to us to be his hands and his feet. To be the ones that actually go into this broken world, representing a saviour who was broken for each one of us. That's, that's how the gospel spreads. By you and me telling others about the good news of Jesus in word and in action. Often our actions speak louder than words. We know that, don't we? The way that we serve people, the way that we're kind to people, the way that we forgive people, the way that we seek to be reconciled even when we've been hurt. These are all signs of following Jesus who was broken for us and acknowledging our own brokenness. We'll come on to that in a moment. So we think about Christ's sacrifice, we think about ourselves as the new temple, and then finally, in terms of thinking about sacrifice, we think about the sacrifice that we offer of ourselves. The sacrifice that we offer of ourselves. In Galatians 2, we read this, I have been crucified with Christ. This is Paul writing. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not a very popular thing to preach about, actually, being crucified with Christ, dying to ourselves, surrendering our will to God's will. Because we live in a culture, don't we, that is all about us being, you know, in charge of our lives, being successful being driven, progress. Now, these things are not in themselves bad. Don't mishear, mishear me. But actually, just think what this world would be like if each person genuinely sought to surrender to what God's will was. Was genuinely able to be humble, genuinely able to be humble and surrender to God. To just slow down for a minute to sort of say, hold on, Lord, what is your will for my life? Rather than just what seems to be 
the thing that we do around here, which is, you know, you go to school, you go to uni, you get a good job, you get a house, you know, all that. Now, none of those things are wrong, but sometimes we, we're on this track without even having thought about it because it's just what you do. So what I'm calling us to as a church, what I hope I'm always calling us to, is to have an examined life, a life where we consider what God is calling us to do. We're all called. It's not just those of us with funny bits of plastic. We're all called. We're all called to follow Jesus, whether that be in the boardroom or the classroom or the hospital or the home or the leisure center or the pub or the sports club, whatever it might be. Wherever we are, we are called to be followers of Jesus. We all have a calling on our lives. All of us. It's simply living a life that is surrendered to God so that in all the decisions we make, we're saying, Lord, is this what you want me to do? Is this the direction that you want my life to take? And there are times when God will ask us to sacrifice things that are really precious to us. Whether that be an income or whether that be, um, whether that be a place that we live you know, one of the things Debs and I have had to sacrifice as we moved around the country is leaving friends behind. Now we have the great benefit of making lots of lovely new friends when we move. But it's hard. It's hard. But that's what God has called me to, and, and now Debs. But there are sacrifices involved, but there are also great joys. Walking in the will of God is the greatest thing we can ever do. The greatest thing we can ever do is to walk in the will of God. So ask yourself the question, are you walking in the will of God? Do you know that? Do you know that you're walking in the will of God? So we're called to be living sacrifices. Well, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible is Romans 12:1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, God's mercy dying on the cross, through Jesus dying on the cross, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So actually, worship is not, it's not primarily about singing songs, it's not even primarily about communion, it's not primarily about silence or any other practices of worship. It is about all of those things, and we, those things are wonderful. They're wonderful gifts from God. But worship is primarily offering ourselves to God. That is primarily a living sacrifice. Again, it's an odd phrase, isn't it? Living sacrifice. But that's what we are called to be. And of course, we cannot do any of these things in our own strength. You know, if we just tried really hard to be these things, then we couldn't do it. But actually, God, by his Holy Spirit, gives us strength. The Holy Spirit lives within us, who are temples of the Holy Spirit. He gives us strength and grace. And where, where does this start? Well, let's look at our final section. This starts with brokenness. What people need to see in us is not perfection, is not we've got it all sorted. They want to see authentic lives. They want to see that we are broken just like they are. You know... One of the criticisms that is often leveled at the church is that it's full of hypocrites. I mean, there's always room for another one, but um, 
the reason that people say it's full of hypocrites is because some Christians, unfortunately, have seen that being a Christian makes them morally superior. That somehow they're better than other people. That's absolute nonsense. It's the complete opposite, isn't it? The reason we're Christians, the reason we seek to follow Jesus is because we know we're broken. Because we know that in our own strength we, we, we cannot get very far. Certainly we cannot forgive ourselves. We cannot free ourselves from guilt or shame. Only Jesus can do that. We all need a saviour. And so those of us who are here this morning, those of us who seek to follow Jesus, we're here because we acknowledge our need of a saviour. That in our own strength and with our own resources, we cannot save ourselves. And so what people need to see is they need to see that authenticity, that acknowledgement of our own brokenness, so that we can walk alongside them who are broken too. And maybe there are areas of our life where Jesus has begun to heal and restore the brokenness. And so we can walk alongside those who are more broken than we are in a particular area and we can help to restore them. And it's just wonderful that on our PCC Vision Day uh, a few weeks ago and also in the surveys that we got back from many of you uh, regarding the way forward with our buildings, it's wonderful that there's a real continuity of what's come through some of those responses and what we talked about in our PCC day and Await Vision Day. And that is that we long to be a church that reaches out to those who are not yet sitting here. Those who are not yet in touch with the church in any shape or form. And there's loads of them. I haven't done it, but if you had a pie chart of those people who are in contact with the church in some way, whether that be through Holiday Club or Prime Time or um, our youth work or any of the other ways in which we seek to reach out to this community, you're still look, looking at a pretty small slice of the pie of people that we're in contact with. There's a whole load of people in Shottermill, in Hazemere, in your workplace, in your places of leisure, who have absolutely nothing to do with any church or any Christians. But they do, you. So how are we going to, as a church, as individuals, reach out to those who are in this broken world? Well, I think the main way we do that is by being, bro- being broken before God ourselves and acknowledging our need for him and therefore coming before him every day, whether that be with silence, whether that be with singing along to a worship CD, whether that be reading a bit of the Bible every day on your iPhone or your whatever. You know, there are loads of ways in which we can connect with God, but it doesn't happen by accident. We have to be intentional about our desire to have communion with God, to actually come before him as broken people who he then restores, who he forgives, who he strengthens, who he equips, who he enables to be lights in this world, to be agents of reconciliation. That's, that's the vision God has given to us as a church, that we are called, we are blessed in order to be a blessing. We meet with God in order that we can be sent out to share the love of God with others. This is a really obvious thing to say, but how did you first hear about the gospel? Just ask that, just answer that to yourself. How did you first hear about the gospel? Anyone want to tell me? At school? Any others? Parents? Sorry? Through someone telling you? Yeah. 
you're that someone for those that you're in contact with every day or maybe on a more occasional basis but you might be that only you might be the only Christian that some people know now I'm not talking about getting on a soapbox and preaching a little sermon but it's how you live an authentic life maybe you offer to pray for someone maybe offer them a prayer quilt if you know they're in need maybe invite them along to one of our social events Maybe, you know, telling them the actual gospel will come way down the track. But actually we need to build relationship with people. And we need to invite them to come and see. That's what Jesus uh, said. Come and see. That's what Andrew said to his brother. Come and see. That's what we need to invite people into. But we need to have a humility and a sense of our own brokenness in order to reach out to people in an authentic way rather than us feeling that as you know that we've got something to give to you've got something to sort of put upon people or offer to people we have but but not in an arrogant way we come as fellow travelers on the journey of life offering people the the chance to journey with us in our brokenness and in their brokenness and actually although i've talked a lot about brokenness also knowing that we can be restored that god is in the process of restoring us and bringing healing and, and, and life into our lives. So we are sent out as members of his body to share his life in the brokenness of the world. That's what we're called to do. Let's just be quiet for a moment. I've said a, a lot of stuff this morning. I'm aware of that. We've covered a lot of ground. But just, it might be that one thing I've said, or more, even more possibly something that Andy read from the scriptures has really resonated with you. Or maybe the line of a song we've heard today. When that happens, when you just feel a real resonance with a particular phrase or word or thought, that's often the way God speaks to us. Communicates with us, is in communion with us. So just hold on to that for a moment. And I want you to, certainly by the end of this service, to have told someone else what you think God might be saying to you. You might not be sure. It might be just like a, sometimes God speaks to us. It's almost like something fleets across the front of our imagination. We sort of barely see it. So I want you to, if you've got a sense of what God might be saying to you, tell somebody about that afterwards. Just be quiet just for a few moments. Maybe in your own words, offer yourself to God again as a living sacrifice. Thanking him that he indwells you by his Holy Spirit. And if you haven't ever invited the Holy Spirit and Jesus into your life, then it would be wonderful if you wanted to do that today. Again, please tell Claire or I if you do that, that would be wonderful. Jesus, thank you that you were broken and you shed your blood for me 
and for each person in this room, for everybody that we know. Thank you that you entered into a broken world and were prepared to be broken for each one of us. So Lord, would you teach us what it means to be a living sacrifice? Would you teach us what it means to be broken, not so that we remain broken in the sense that we cannot do anything, but broken in the sense that we recognize our dependence on you and need for healing and restoration that comes from you alone. And Lord, may this be a church that is a place of restoration and healing for those who are broken, including us, but also those who are not yet part of this community. Give us wisdom, Lord, as we seek to grow in numbers, as we seek to grow in depth, as we seek to grow in engagement with this community. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Make us aware of the indwelling of your spirit in our lives to empower us and equip us and restore us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.